This is the 2018 Day with the Word. Our speaker is Brother Tim Badger. His topic for the day is Closer to Our God, the Book of Psalms. This is class number three, entitled Hallelujah, Praising God. The reading was Psalm 150. Brother Tim. great lunch. <clears throat> I um, have a great appreciation for Mexican slash Californian, I don't know what else you call it, but uh, they do a pretty poor job of it in Australia, <laughs> and it's really heavy over here. So, um, thank you. Um, so, what we're going to be looking at is um, sort of shifting our focus, obviously, to the other um, most common theme in the songs, and that is praise. So here's where we're at. Um, we're looking at this one, and then our next session is going to be looking at a sort of a different type of psalm altogether as well um, that gives us instruction, uh, but they're related. So when we come to psalms, uh, this is particularly what most people think of when they come to the book of psalms, that it's full of praise, uh, which it is, um, but not completely full, as we've already seen in terms of looking at the laments. And this is a common word. Uh, that's used throughout the Psalms in other places in Scripture. And that is the word hallelujah. And if you're not sure, I thought we'd just um, have a quick look at this so we're clear on it. It comes from two words, uh, the word hallel, uh, which means to praise, or it comes from this idea to shine, uh, to be bright, <coughs> uh, or to boast. And then yah, which is an interesting form of the word Yahweh. It's the contracted poetic version of Yahweh's name. And it's used extensively uh, throughout the Psalms and other places, uh, particularly in Isaiah, you'll find it. And you'll often find it as a clue to a song that's going on. So when you come to Isaiah, there's a few Psalms that are sort of embedded in the prophet's message. And he will uh, use one of those or a couple of those clues that indicate this is a psalm. And one of them is the use of Yah, um, the contracted form of Yahweh, he who will be. So that's all the way through. And this is a really important uh, word that's picked up in the New Testament as well. And we'll see that a little bit later <clears throat> um, in a different form in the book of Revelation. Well, before we, um, we, we look at these psalms of praise, brothers and sisters, and what they can tell us about what we can do in terms of drawing closer to God through praise, we have to remember how important praise is. And we're told in Scripture that God... God feels, God thinks that praise is beautiful. That's one of the expressions that you find in Scripture, that he, he looks at praise when it's done in the right way into his honor and glory, and he finds it a beautiful thing. So that means that when you and I praise God, that's something that gives him great delight when his people actually praise his name. And this is what we find through the history of the children of Israel. So let's just have a little uh, sweep at some of the, uh, the times when Israel and God's people praised him. Um, let's start in, uh, in Egypt. When the children of Israel brought to the Red Sea and they were liberated from the Egyptians, they were really happy. Being perhaps the first and most significant occasion for joy on a national level in the history of Israel, the people and their leader couldn't restrain from singing and giving praise to Yahweh their God with their voices, instruments, and all of their might. Where is that recorded? 
So where is that uh, culmination of their praise? Where is it? Exodus, Exodus 15. So yeah, 14 is the lead up to it, and then and away it goes in Exodus 15. That becomes a crucial song with all sorts of prophetic overtones um, through the rest of Scripture. And we know when the ark was brought back to Jerusalem under David, the people and their king were happy as well. And they couldn't restrain from singing and praising and giving thanks to Yahweh with their instruments and joyful hearts in 1 Chronicles 15 and 16, an intense moment of national praise. And when the exiles came back after the long activity, uh, the long captivity in Babylon, they were filled with happiness as well, brothers and sisters. This was a moment again of national heartfelt praise to God. And we're told that... Um, the sound of their excitement and praise and thanksgiving was so loud from the tops of the new walls in Jerusalem that they were heard for a long way off in Nehemiah chapter 12. Now imagine, that's an incredible scene, to imagine them cruising around on the top of those new walls and absolutely praising God so much that it, it must have shaken the walls in some way. They were confident they wouldn't come down, obviously. But the enemies, that would have just been an amazing thing for the enemies to witness and to see from a distance. And so when Jesus later comes riding on a colt and draws near to Jerusalem, the great multitude of his disciples again experienced great joy. And the noise of their joy and praise was to their God, we're told. For they recognized their chosen king and gave him honor, Luke 19, if only for a moment. And in Revelation chapter 19, this is where we come in, the great harlot, when that great harlot, who has corrupted the whole earth, is overcome, and the smoke of her destruction rises forever, God's people will be happy. And the sound of their praise to Yahweh, and the joy of their hearts, we are told, brothers and sisters, will be as loud as mighty thunder. Imagine that. That is absolutely an amazing picture. As the sound of many waters, even the voice of a great multitude. Just come to Revelation 19. I know we're in the Psalms, but come to Revelation 19. It's a beauty picture. And one that needs to be and is fundamentally part of our vision of the kingdom. So Revelation 19 picks up this theme of praise, and it tells us prophetically, brothers and sisters, that this is one of, the, one of the great culminating events that will involve our praise in the future. And we believe, and our, our faith is, that all of us here, collected with all of the saints from all of history, will be here in Revelation 19 when Jesus returns and conquers the great harlot, we are going to be there, and we will be praising God for the very fact that her smoke rises up forever and ever. So, Revelation 19, verse 1. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. Now, that's one of the rare occasions in the New Testament where the Hebrew is directly transliterated into the Greek. They don't make up a new word. This is transliterated right from Hebrew. Alleluia. For true, verse 2, for true and righteous are his judgments because he's judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. 
And again they said, Alleluia, for her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. You know what's interesting, brothers and sisters, in this section is all of the key elements of those doxologies that were at the end of every one of the five books of Psalms. The blessing, the amen, and the forever and ever. It's all there. All those elements. And we find them right at the end of the age in Revelation chapter 19 on the lips of the saints as they praise their God. And so you can see the verse we quoted from, verse 6. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude as the sounds of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. Now, <clears throat> amazingly, right, um, Handel decided to make a song on this using well, the Alleluia Chorus, right, which most of us love. And if you've ever been to uh, the Messiah, I think I've been to it once years ago, I think everyone stands for that, right? Is that the tradition? The Hallelujah Chorus when it happens, is that right? Yeah, Mo like most people in the audience traditionally would stand for that. And out it goes. And Hannah Messiah composed a song, his Messiah, um, the, the music and all that. He composed it using the words from a, like, oh, I won't sing it because I'm no singer. But you know that, yeah, like, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And it's so interesting to me, right? Because... Like, it's based on Revelation 19 and the praise there, but he certainly didn't include anything about the harlot in that song. <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, the smoke rises and rises. <laughs> so bizarre. I don't think it would have gone down well in his time if he had thrown that in. But that's where it's based on, okay? And the joy, the hallelujah chorus, is actually still future for us when we will see that destruction take place in the victory of Christ and the saints over that system in the world. Beautiful. So praise is fundamental to God's people, and it always has been. And we, brothers and sisters, need to make time for praise and do it deliberately, not just incidentally. That's the point. There's a deliberateness to the praise in the Psalms where people in their life have thought about what God's done and is going to do and decided to praise him for it, sat down and wrote out praise to God. Now, here comes one of the challenges from the book of Psalms, brothers and sisters, that we'll just mention in passing now. And that is, when you read the book of Psalms, there's another lesson that it's just saying very simply to us that we can take away. And it's not only pray like this, but it's also do this. And the doing is, well, brothers and sisters, people sat down and wrote these out, pen and paper, or whatever they had back then, parchment and pen quill, or whatever it might have been. I'm not really sure. But <clears throat> you get the idea. One of the messages, I think, that's really obvious from looking at the book of Psalms, and we, the fact that we have it, is it's saying there is a lot of power for the people of God to sit down and write out a prayer, whether it's prayer of praise or prayer of amen. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but um, the first time that I realized you could do it, which kind of seems obvious, but not you didn't think of it as a young person, is, I'm pretty sure this is how it went. I remember, and this sounds a bit dodgy, but I'll just tell you anyway. I remember taking my sister's diary that was locked, okay? <laughs> and I was looking through it, I'm like, oh, wow, diary, like, what's, and, that, and what I actually found was prayers written out. 
and I wasn't like the juicy kind of thing that I was looking for. <laughs> but the amazing thing was, and I suddenly saw, I remember seeing it there, that my sister had written out a prayer. And I'm like, whoa, like, okay. And since then, it's made me think that I don't do it all the time, brothers and sisters, but I, I definitely had a book that I wrote out prayers from time to time in. And if you if you take away one challenge from the our studies together this week, we, this weekend, is to make yourself the challenge of writing out a prayer. And I can tell you one thing for certain. You will experience something very different than just saying a prayer, like you might do at the end of an evening or something like that. If you sit down and write out a prayer, you will immediately, probably, most people's experience of this, and I get my, I get my year tens to do this. Um, and the, the immediate reflection is, wow, oh, how do I do this? Like, how do I even introduce it? How do I start? And that's where then you suddenly open the Psalms and you can borrow phrases and let that just flow. And you can experience this idea of actually stopping and thinking about what you're praying about far more than what happens when we just kind of rattle off a prayer sometimes at the end of an evening. Um, it takes a lot longer. Um, it takes time and investment. But I can assure you that the power of doing so is, is very great. And I, I encourage you to do that and uh, experience what that means, because that's one of the lessons that's coming clearly from the book of Psalms, that people wrote these out. <clears throat> and so you can do that with praise. And one of the challenges I want to add to that then, as we, as we think through and you get some ideas of what praise is all about from what we're going to look at, is um, I'm going to set some homework because I'm a school teacher, and I love doing that. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be checking, marking it obviously. <clears throat> but my challenge to you is next two weeks, Try and find time, make time, don't find it. Let's try and make time to write out some sort of hymn of praise. And if you're not poetic, don't worry. But if you can write out the things that you are praising God for, and I don't mean just a little a list of thank yous, but write out a prayer that is predominantly praise. Try it. It's challenging, and it might stir you to think about where you are at in your understanding of praise to God and what you actually do praise him for. So it could be the, the, the creation around you, if you've just been on a hike. It could be for your family, for your ecclesia, or for all of those things. And that's what people do praise God for. But try it. In the next two weeks, sit down and write a psalm of praise to God and see what it does for your own mind and discipleship. So the people of God are a happy people, despite the trials that come along. And you know, brothers and sisters, when you look at the book of Psalms as a collection, like we've been doing, the, the beginning of the book of Psalms starts off predominantly with lamentations, like Psalms of Lament. And there's some praise in there. But by the end of the book of Psalms, there's one thing for certain. And that is, by the time you get all the way to the end, into the 140s and 50s and so on, that, or 150, that the psalmist is saying, or, or the, the group that have finally compiled it under divine inspiration, that the people of God will eventually move from lament and trials and come through to praising God. And there's this huge focus on praise at the end of the book of Psalms. So despite whatever's happened through the life of his saints and the, the history of his people, and all those ups and downs and laments, despite all of that, at the end of the day, the people of God are a happy people because they have an absolute definite hope that no matter what happens, even if their own life is taken from them, brothers and sisters, there is nothing that can change the hope that we have. 
And that's the message of the book of Psalms, as we'll see as we come to the end, that despite everything that's come before, from Moses to the exiles, we have every reason still, at the end of the day, to find every reason to praise our God, because everything that we actually need has been taken care of. And that's the beauty, the beauty of praise in the Psalms that we have. 1 Chronicles 16, verse 10 says this, <clears throat> Sing to him. Sing psalms to him. Talk of all his wondrous works. When was the last time? This is a little self-reflection. When was the last time in a conversation with a brother or sister or posts on Facebook or whatever it is, when was the last time you were talking about the wonderful works of God to your brothers and sisters? Just as raw as it is, as the beautiful day, and saying, this is an amazing day that God's created. And, and thinking about all those things, because brothers and sisters, that's what you find in the Psalms. That's what people are doing who know and feel passionately that they're in covenant relationship with God. They appreciate those things. They talk to him. So, sing to him, sing Psalms to him, First Chronicles 16.10. Talk of all his wondrous works, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek Yahweh. That's amazing. What an amazing command. And what a great challenge for us to make sure that we keep our minds focused on praise, even when life can be hard, to find those reasons to praise God. Well, we said earlier that Psalm 145 was sort of the last song. Let's go there. And I'm going to explain why that sort of is the case. Right? So it seems like the compilers of the book of Psalms in its end format had Psalm 145 at the end. And you remember that there was no amen, amen sort of part to the doxology. Do you remember when we were looking at that at the end of Psalm 145? But we mentioned that Psalm 146 to the end actually forms that sort of final conclusion to the book of Psalms. And I think that's the way we need to see these, and it's deliberately put this way, that Psalm 146 to 150 are actually the, 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 um, the final crescendo for the whole book of Psalms. Despite everything that's come through over history, the, the, under divine inspiration, these five Psalms were put at the end to teach us one final pushing lesson about life and our prayers to God focused on praise. Now, I want to show you how this happens because, brothers and sisters, um, I think all of us would agree that there's, there's things in Scripture that convince us of divine inspiration, that this is the hand of God, and prophecy, obviously, and all those things. But just the way it's written time and time again shows us that this is the hand of God. Let's have a look at how this works. So let's say the collection is ended, and the final five Psalms are tacked on the end with a deliberate ending uh, message. So, Psalm 146. Well, the first thing you might have noticed is that the beginning of Psalm 146 starts with hallelujah. So, praise Yah. That's what it literally says in Hebrew. Praise Yah. But it also ends with that same phrase. So, have a look at the end of verse 10. Praise Yah. So, hallelujah. Right? And so does Psalm 147. It starts with Hallelujah, and ends with hallelujah. So does Psalm 148, and 149, and 150. All of 
excuse me, all of those last five psalms are known as the Hallelujah Psalms, one of those little collections of Hallelujah Psalms, because they all start and finish with the exact same expression in Hebrew. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Now, that should tip us off that there's something going on here. There's a deliberate construction. They put it together. But there's so much more than that, brothers and sisters. Each one of these psalms, as we're going to see, has a different, a different focus on this whole exhortation to praise Yahweh. So let's just have a look and see if we can figure out what it is. Now, I'm going to try and put them in these columns, and I'll make these uh, slides available in PDF or whatever, so you don't have to scratch everything down, and I do have a handout of something after this. But let's just build a picture and read carefully these last five psalms. What is the focus of Psalm 146? Well, clearly it's praise. But in what sense? Well, here we go. Verse 1. Hallelujah. Praise Yahweh, O my soul. Will I live... I will praise Yahweh. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Now there's a focus there, brothers and sisters. This is clearly an individual who's taken up the exhortation to praise Yahweh, right? This is what an individual person saying, I'm going to praise God while I have my being with all of my might. That's what I'm going to do. So if you put it together, there's little clues fairly consistently in this psalm that tell us what the focus is of this song, and this is praise coming from the individual, right? Look at the look at what we've got here. Oh my soul, while I pray, while I live, I will praise. And then he goes on in verse five: Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help. So this is talking about individuals in their own circumstances, the blind, the lame, whoever they might be, that they personally have the God of Jacob for their help, and that's why this individual person. And those individual circumstances are praising God. Psalm 146 has a definite focus that praise is coming from the individual, him or herself. And then you have a little clue to what's going to happen next. It says, towards the end, in verse 10, Yahweh shall reign forever, your God, O Zion, to all generations. So suddenly this person turns, the psalmist, and addresses Zion, Israel, Jerusalem, Judah, and says, your God lives forever to all generations, shall reign for all generations. So when we come to Psalm 147, look what's happened. Now this is amazing to me. This is a hallelujah psalm, but the shift in focus is really apparent. Look who's praising God in Psalm 147. Verse 1, for it is good to sing praises, not to my God anymore, to our God. And it's pleasant, and praise is beautiful. There it is. Yahweh builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel, heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars, and he calls them all by name. That's clearly a reference to the Abrahamic promises, Right? Look at what the, the focus is. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Look at verse 7. Sing to Yahweh with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God. Look at verse 12. Praise Yahweh, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. For he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He's blessed your children within you. He makes peace 
in your borders and fills you with the finest of wheat. And if we didn't get the point, look at verse 19. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Hallelujah. So here's the focus, brothers and sisters, of Psalm 147. This is praise from the nation. That's who's praising God in Psalm 147. This is the ecclesia. This is the nation. Our God, Jerusalem, Israel, sing on, uh, sing on the harp to our God. Praise your God, O Zion. And the interesting thing is, what we're going to find with each of these, they have a different focus of praise, brothers and sisters. And I feel that's kind of ringing. Is that ringing to you? Okay, I'll try and stay away from it a little bit. Um, psalm 146 anticipated what the next psalm is going to be, right? The, the focus of praise in that psalm, and there it was. This is coming from Zion, right? There's Zion. Your God is Zion right there in verse 12. And now there's a little hint of what the next psalm is going to do as this begins to escalate from the individual to the nation, and now the focus of Psalm 148 is this, brothers and sisters, and I think this is so exciting. Look what it says. Psalm 148. Now praise is coming to the Lord from the heavens. And it lists all the things in the heavens. Verse 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. Heights, angels, hosts, moons, stars, heavens of heavens, waters. Let them praise the name of the Lord. Verse 5. For he commanded and they were created. He also established them forever and ever and made a decree which shall not pass away. And then verse 4 says, praise Yahweh from the earth. And he mentions everything in the earth, including people, right? Look what, look what it says. Sea creatures, fire, hail, snow, clouds, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruitful trees, beasts. And it's a, it's a recap on Genesis chapter 1. So do you see what's happened in Psalm 148? Praise has now gone up a level. It started with the individual, now the whole nation's involved, and now all of creation is praising God, brothers and sisters. And that's what this psalm anticipated at the end of Psalm 147. And it goes to another level in Psalm 149. And you can see what's happening in this book. The, the, the psalmist, in the, the way this is putting together, is bringing us to this absolutely certain ending of total and utter praise to God from everything and everyone. So the end of Psalm 148 mentions the saints, and that is exactly where praise is coming from in Psalm 149. Have a look at Psalm 149. And I'll just put that on there. The first clue that this is now talking about the saints who are redeemed is in verse 1. Sing to Yahweh a new song. And that phrase is absolutely loaded, as we know, with... Um, the future age, after redemption has taken place in full, and his praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker, and the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Now, in a sense, brothers and sisters, it's not just coming from the nation anymore, as 147 was. This is coming from a redeemed people. And how do we know that? Well, look what it says. <clears throat> Verse 3, let them praise his name with a dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For Yahweh takes pleasure in his people, and he will beautify the humble with salvation. You see what it's getting at? This is the saints redeemed with Christ. How do we know it's with Christ? Verse 5. 
Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds, which is just a great little image. <laughs> Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment, this honor have all the saints. And that's exactly what Revelation 19 is talking about. Do you see what's happened? Praise has started individually, nationally, all of creation, the new creation, and then if you, if you could get any more of what this, is, what this is doing, what it's saying, brothers and sisters, in almost a, a way that's hard to contain, Psalm 50 caps off everything in this message of praise and says this over and over and over again. Look at Psalm 150. It's an incredible psalm, and sometimes neglected, perhaps. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That's the what of this psalm. Now it's going to answer where. Praise God in his sanctuary. And praise him in his mighty firmament. And now it's going to answer why. Why do this? Praise him for his mighty acts and praise him according to his excellent greatness. And now it's going to answer, how do we do it? And interestingly, brothers and sisters, this is the largest section of the psalm. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments and flutes which is literally what the word <coughs> psalm means. Psalm means to strike the strings, to sweep the strings. Verse 5. Praise him with loud cymbals. And if you sort of miss the point, praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise Yahweh. Hallelujah. That's the final word, the final note of this entire collection of prayers, brothers and sisters, of the saints from Moses to the exiles. And, and the message that we're being given, brothers and sisters, is that we have cause to reflect on the reasons to praise God as individuals in our life. Psalm 146. There's so many reasons. We just need to stop and do it, don't we? We need to make praise in our life deliberate, intentional, not incidental. It, spontaneous? Absolutely. But not just haphazard from the sense of like, we'll hope it happens sometime. This is something that people are choosing to do. And, and they're sitting down and thinking how great God is and deliberately praising him for that. And how much of a help that can be in our life. If we choose to do it, if weeks go by, brothers and sisters, and we don't praise God for anything except for thanking him for our daily meals, how impoverished can we be? And how mindless of who the God is that we live and serve every day. And that's what they're telling us, these Psalms, to praise God as individuals. And if we're doing that, brothers and sisters, then our ecclesia, Let's say from a national point of view, our ecclesia, that's our, our parallel, a brotherhood, should be and would be praising God just the same. And that's cause to reflect, isn't it? For Thousand Oaks and Reseda, 
and Verdugo and Simi and all of our ecclesias, that is absolutely worth thinking about where our praise is at to God. And it doesn't have to boil down to whether, and I, I know this is a challenge at times, um, we, I was recently chairing back at Brighton for just a, a, um, a Sunday morning, and uh, the brother had chosen the hymn that he was a visiting brother from Perth, and he'd chosen the hymn, and I can't ever remember singing at Brighton, so it was just like, all right, we'll give it a go, and nobody knew the hymn, and it was very like, oh. <laughs> and it was the most awkward time. I think you've probably had that experience before in your ecclesia. Um, but th that, to me, that's not actually what the, this is getting at, like that we're awesome at singing, although that is, I think, something worthwhile to invest time into and, and putting, well, it says when you praise God, do it skillfully. When you play an instrument, do it skillfully. Sing with your voice, everything. That's true. But at the heart of this, clearly, brothers and sisters, is the sentiments behind that and the sincerity and devotion that that involves. You don't have to be an expert um, singer or singing in tune. I'm certainly not. But this psalm isn't getting there. He didn't give us the sheet music, did he? He gave us the sentiments and the passion and the sincerity that can encourage us. And so as an ecclesia, I think that's something that we can think about. Maybe that needs to be on our, our agendas at the business meeting to think about how, as an ecclesia, are we praising God? How does that happen? How can Psalm 147 help us to think about that? That is worthwhile doing, because that's what the people of God do in appreciation. And then we look at creation around us and see how that praises God and be appreciative of that. How everything that he made will praise him and will do even more so in the future when the curse is removed. And, and the motivation for that is Psalm 149, because we know that's exactly what we will be doing in the kingdom. That's a, a primary role that we will have as brothers and sisters in Christ, redeemed through Jesus Christ, praising God and the Lamb in the kingdom age. And all the earth will witness that. And finally, brothers and sisters, the final note is just praise God for all it's worth. And that's what Psalm 150 tells us. So all of those things, brothers and sisters, are exhortations to us on an individual, ecclesial, and brotherhood level, and everything else that helps us to realize the importance of praise. And that is the final message of the book of Psalms, that brothers and sisters, through whatever life brings us, we can always find reason to come back to praise God for what he has done in the past. You know, I don't know, have you ever done this? Um, it's something that just struck me some time ago that I'd never done before. But um, have you ever praised God for delivering Israel from Egypt? It's an interesting question. Because, in a sense, I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I, I read these things in the Psalms that that's what they praised God for, because that was kind of relevant to them, that God had redeemed their nation from Egypt. That happens all the way through history, ever since that happened. But that is our history, brothers and sisters. That event that led Egypt, Israel out of Egypt and God worked salvation for his children, that is, our, that is part of God's whole story of salvation. And we, just as Israel in the wilderness, should be just as thankful and just as appreciative and just as impressed that God redeemed his people back there from Egypt. 
And, and that's something we can still praise God for. That's what you find sometimes the psalmist doing in the Psalms, is going all the way back to that incident as a, as a typical way that God works for his people in redeeming them out of Egypt. And of course, our focus is now going to focus around the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Psalm 150. says, praise him in verse 2 for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Now, if we can praise God for Israel's deliverance from Egypt, brothers and sisters, well, that was just like a smidgen, like a shadow of what God has done through Jesus Christ, saving us from the real enemy, the real Egypt, of which Egypt was just a shadow. That is sin and death itself. And we, no matter what we're going through in life, being in Christ Jesus through faith, we can still praise God that he has met our every need. Salvation from sin is the bottom line. And that is his mighty act and his excellent greatness, brothers and sisters. If coming out of, if Egypt drowning the Red Sea was mighty, what we witness when someone is baptized into Jesus Christ and their sins are washed away, and what we see in the atonement and the principles of Christ and the destruction of sin, that is the greatest act God has ever done. Egypt and coming to the Red Sea pales in comparison. And that is something that needs to develop praise in ourselves and motivate ourselves to praise God, not just around our baptism, but something that we should be aware of every day and every week, that that is what God has done for his people. We praise him for his mighty acts and according to his excellent greatness. You know, just out of interest, brothers and sisters, and showing that this is deliberately there to teach us and help us, I'm going to give you this as a handout if you're interested. Um, you can use it for bob marking, whatever. But um, all those five psalms are actually anticipated in Psalm 145. Look, let me just show you how this works. You might not be able to read all those details, but just look. Psalm 145 um, anticipates every one of those psalms in the order, in the right order. Look at it. It starts off in verse 1. And this has been noticed <clears throat> um, on, on a number of different levels, but let's have a look. I will extol you, my God. I will bless your name. Every day I will bless you. That's Psalm 146. And then, as you move through the Psalm 4, 6, and 7, one generation shall praise your works to another. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts. Psalm 150. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness. That's Psalm 147. All your works shall praise you, O Lord. There's Psalm 148. All your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. That's Psalm 149. And all flesh shall bless his holy name forever and ever. That's Psalm 150. And you see how deliberate that is, brothers and sisters, and how important it is to take this message seriously, that we can't go through life without praising God. And if we're finding ourselves in that position, that something's not right in our appreciation, in our discipleship, for what God has done for us and will do in the future. So I guess this is the point, brothers and sisters. In the end, the Psalms are telling us that we as a people, individually and collectively, need to be a people of praise. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable, right? Obviously, the inverse of that is true. 
we, it's not just this life only. We, Christ has risen from the dead. The great mighty acts of God are completely displayed before us. We have hope of a future to come. So the inverse must be true. Of all people on the planet, brothers and sisters, we of all men are the most happy and have the most reason to praise God. That's true. And we need to try and remember that in our walk and daily life. And so when the weights of the world come around us in daily life and work and all those things, we have to deliberately sit down with our family, don't we? And find reason to praise God before we do the readings or after we do the readings or around the dinner table. Not just on Thanksgiving once every November or if you're in Canada, it's October, I think. Right? It's true. That's something that's so fundamental to discipleship and daily life. And that's what the Psalms are encouraging us. You know, when we look at these things, and I just want to end on this little note, brothers and sisters, it's a little bit of a digression, but something that I feel strongly that I need to remind myself all the time about Bible study and, and looking at things like this and trying to draw lessons and looking at how things are, are written and the dynamics of how God's done that in such an intricate way. We must never forget these two warnings. And the first one is from Brother Robert Roberts. And I love this. And it's something that we need to do. If the Bible is God's voice, in, in this case, the Psalms, to every man that has ears to hear, which it demonstrably is, which is classic for the Roberts, it is for every man by himself and for himself to seek to understand it and to extend the benefit he may have received. Now that's true, brothers and sisters, when it, with the Psalms, everything that we're doing this weekend in any Bible study, that it's something that we, we want to encourage personal Bible study to look at them and draw those things out of the Psalms and pray with it. But it's something that's got to affect us and something that we can then share to others. And when it says to talk of all his wondrous works, that's going to be something that we're able to do if we're absorbing God's word on our own. It's something we can take to Bible class, something we can take to Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and whatever it is. And the things that we're saying are praise, not rubbish gossip. We're a people of praise, brothers and sisters, not character assassination of other people, whatever, whatever differences we have with them. If we're that type of people and we're that type of ecclesia or that type of brotherhood, for that matter, where will we stand before God when Christ returns? If we have been more obsessed with criticizing and tearing down than building up and praising God. And that is a powerful thing to remember. The other one that I wanted to show you is just this, to keep in mind with all these things we've been mentioning. This is William Tyndale. And he says... If these lessons be not written in thine heart, then is all the scripture shut up as a kernel in the shell, so that thou mayest read it and commune of it and rehearse all the stories of it and dispute wittily and be a profound sophister and yet understand not one jot thereof. So brothers and sisters, when we have our Bible study weekends together, let's make sure that we're taking away and putting into practice the things that we're learning. And in this case, let's go away and find deliberate reason to praise our God.